You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to day two of our special week of Her Money Mailbags. Mm-hmm. Kelly Hultgren is in the studio with me. You know, it occurred to me, I never say your last name. Really? I never do. I always just say Kelly is Kelly. in the studio with oh, me. Well, my last name is Holtgren. It's very Swedish. It's very Swedish. Very Swedish. There you go. Kelly's not so Swedish. No, Kelly isn't. Kelly's Irish. I should know this. My parents are going to be disappointed in me. I think it's Irish. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Yeah. What do we have? (laughs) Our first question is from Wendy. I wanted to hear your opinion on joining a multi-level marketing, a.k.a. pyramid scheme organization. One of my family members is trying to recruit me. I already have a full-time job, but I am paying off student debt from my MBA. The extra money sounds good, but I am skeptical of these kinds of organizations. Please advise. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. Thank you, Wendy. So I think she answered her own question, but I do want to say... Not all multi-level marketing organizations are bad. The hallmark, though, is when they require you to buy a lot of stuff, when the buy-in gets really expensive and it will very clearly take you a long time to get rid of the inventory or pay that off. And also, if it's clear that you are nowhere near the top of this organization, that you've come in so far down the pyramid that your amount of potential profit is quite low. Those are the things that would cause me to be worried. The other thing that I do want to point out is You know, there's a very big difference between multi-level marketing and the at-home sales companies um, that we talk about and that are quite reputable and are a great way for people to make a lot of additional money. And so if that's something that appeals to you, I'd go online. I'd go to a place like Reddit where conversations about these sorts of organizations exist in real time. And I'd read everything I could get my hands on before I spent dollar one. Next one from Christy. My question is regarding what to do to keep saving. I am 45 years old, and I used to work for a large organization and use the 401k to the max and was happily matched. Now I'm working with my parents' small business as I will be taking it over. I just put my earnings into a rollover IRA. We have about 18 employees, including the owners, and do not have a 401k. From what I can tell, I am limited in my options with the Roth IRA because my husband and I make too much money. What recommendations do you have for me? Well, you may be eligible for a SEP IRA, depending on how you're paid, and that can allow you to put aside a lot of money, up to more than $50,000 a year, depending on how much you're earning. You may also want to talk to an accountant about what else is possible based on the structure of the company. The way it works, and I know this because I run a small business, but the way it works is that there are some 
pension plans that you can contribute to just for yourself. But there are others where if you contribute for yourself, you also have to make a contribution for the rest of the members of your company, and that contribution has to be proportional. So you want to be careful about getting into something where you're committed to providing more financial resources than you're comfortable with or than you can afford for those 18 employees. At the very, very minimum, an IRA for you and an IRA for your husband doesn't have to be a Roth IRA. It can be a traditional IRA. You can each make a contribution. And if you want to convert that to a Roth IRA, you can do that very quickly just by paying the taxes on the amount that you contributed, and you can roll it over very quickly. Great. That one was from Christy. Now we have one from Kristen, who says she loves the podcast and has been meaning to ask this question for a long time now. She writes, I am 29, married, with a new baby, and trying to pay down my student loans. I have about four years on federal loans and eight years on private loans to go. I have savings bonds from my grandfather that I would like to use towards my loans. He bought one each month over many, many years, so they all have different maturity dates and won't fully mature for years. At maturity, they would total about 10000 and as of today, they're worth around 8000 I don't think it's worth waiting all those years for them to mature because I think it would have a bigger impact to just pay down my loans ASAP. I have a few questions about this. One, do I get any tax benefit for using them to pay off student loans, or would it just be if I was paying for education directly? Two, do you have any suggestions for how to do this strategically, any benefits or perks I may not be aware of, or tax implications I might not know about? And three, I saw an article on Magnify Money that said a woman called and negotiated her student loans since she had a big chunk of money to send them. At first, they just offered to lower her interest rate a bit, but in the end, they took off a few thousand from her balance. I'm hoping to try this out. Well, first of all, I think that's a very good strategy. My guess is that the woman who negotiated did it with a private lender, not a federal lender. The federal government is not in the student loan negotiation business, at least as far as I know. And so I would attempt that with the private lenders. As far as being strategic about it, there is no benefit that you're going to get from taking savings bonds and using it to pay off student loans. It's just going to be like using a chunk of money to pay off your educational debts. But you can be strategic in in two different ways. The first is by focusing, just like you would on a credit card payoff, with the highest interest rate debt first. So whatever you're converting from your savings bonds, take that and apply it to the highest interest rate debt. Let the debt that is at the lower interest rates just continue to be paid off on a regular basis until you've come up with that money. By the same token, I do the exact same thing with the savings bonds. So if you've got savings bonds that are closest to maturity, they're going to be worth the most. You cash them first, then you take the money and you apply it to the student loans with the highest debt. And the last thing that I would say is that it may be possible if you haven't done this already. And if you're a reader of Magnify Money, I suspect you might have. But it may be possible for you to lower the interest rates on some of those loans, particularly the private ones, by consolidating, refinancing them. So that's always a good option to consider as well. 
And definitely try negotiating. That is a thing that we learned from Kelly Peeler of Next Gen Best. You can go back to her episode, The Number is Escaping Me Now. But I remember we did talk about how to specifically negotiate with private lenders. Cool. And we'll do one more from Mel. What is your take on buying gold? Rumor has it it might go up to 5000 an ounce. Who knew the Dow would ever pass 26000 Sounds like she's saying, we didn't know this. Should we do this? Should we do that? Yep. I do not have gold bars in my basement, and I do own a little bit of gold in my portfolio. Really? And so I, yeah, I do. I, it's, in a, it's in a fund. It's a precious metals fund. Cool. So I have a little bit of that. I think it's fine. I think it is a piece of a portfolio that you might want to have, but I wouldn't go out and buy gold directly. Now, there are people out there who will disagree with me. They are the same people who have lots of bottled water and dehydrated food in their basement, and they feel like we should all have gold coins or gold bars in case one day the world comes to an end. I know one of those people. So, you know, I get it. And if that's going to make you more able to sleep at night, okay. You know, you take a small portion of your money and you use it to buy gold or to even put in your mattress. And I know financial experts who have done that. Really? I will not name them. But I I do know people who feel it is important to keep a sizable amount of cash at home. And it's for that reason. It's the, I got to go. I got to run. The world is not a safe place anymore. I think think gold is a, it's fine to represent a small portion of your portfolio. And let's leave it at that. Sounds good. Thank you, Jean. Thank you, Kelly. And we will be back tomorrow with another bonus mailbag, number three. (laughs) 